Get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And of course, we've been there for the last couple of weeks. We'll be there for, for probably a little while longer. I don't want to go too fast in this section because of all of the really very important things that are presented here. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and also in chapter 13 and 14, we'll be talking about you know, one of the most important aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it pertains to the church. And Paul has a great deal of that to say with regard to the Spirit moving in the ministry that he has. And the reason he brings it up in Corinth, and it really is the only place that he speaks extensively like this in all of his New Testament writings, the reason is, I guess, because of Corinth's uh, misapplication of the Spirit's work, along with all the other things that they had wrong that he had to correct, the uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit was also misapplied, abused in the Corinthian church, and he felt the need to straighten them out. And of course, you may remember, this is not the only place that spiritual gifts are mentioned in the New Testament. Also found in Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, several other of the gifts, a few duplications, but in most of the uh, commentaries that I've read, there's sort of a, an uncertainty as to the total number that are mentioned. Most everybody says that there are at least 20 or 21 gifts of the Spirit mentioned in the New Testament, and nine of them are mentioned here. And we're going to be looking at them finally today uh, as we move forward in our study. The last couple of weeks, we wanted to give you an introduction of the Spirit of God in the church, and the church is not the building, the church is the body of Christ, it's who we are, uh, where we need meet is not actually considered the church from a New Testament perspective, but who we are when we meet is what the church is all about. Remember Jesus had said, uh, against the gates of hell that will not prevail against the church, because uh, he has built the church upon the rock of his word. And so that still stands, and we need to understand that we are the people, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sons and daughters of God, but also the church of God. And so he's addressing these words to us as well as to the people in that day who inhabited the uh, uh, assembly of gathering that uh, persisted in that day in Corinth. And if he hadn't done so, we would have very little information to go on. So it's very good that we have this section. And of course, it does have its level of controversy. As people study this word, there are differences of opinions. I'm not going to focus a lot on what people say about the modern interpretation of these things is I want to focus what I believe to be a better focus, and that's with regard to how the gifts were used in Paul's day. And in order for us to do that, we'll first look at what the gifts are that we'll be looking at, and then we'll find out from the book of Acts, which is the historic record of really the very first early days of the church, in which many of the gifts were in operation. And so we couple the book of Acts with this chapter in 
1 Corinthians, and we'll get a good understanding, I believe, of not only the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, but how they were utilized in the early church, and that from that, how they should be utilized in this present day. So I do want to start again with a reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and the first 11 verses. So if you'll read with me, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And I'm really kind of amazed at the fact that Paul, in all of his letters, uses the word ignorant on three separate occasions. In Romans, he wanted the people that he wrote to in Rome to not be ignorant about the state of the nation of Israel with regard to end times prophecy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he wanted the church at Thessalonica to not be ignorant about the end times, the coming of Christ and the return of our Lord and the tribulation period. And here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he wants the church at Corinth and us not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, why they're important and what they are in terms of the ministry that they perform in the church, as well as the purpose of using the gifts for the edification of the body or the building up of the body. I don't want you to be ignorant, he said. Verse 2 continues and says, You know that there were, that you, rather, were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I made known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. And then in verse 7 through the remainder of what we'll be reading, he mentions these manifestations of the Holy Spirit as gifts of the Spirit. He says in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Why? For the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So we see in this list several of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that Paul wanted to bring to the attention of the Corinthian church. And in writing these words, he implies to them and to us that these gifts are very important. Each one of them, though they are all unique in their scope, each one of them has a purpose. And as far as I can tell in the Word of God, there is no place where God's Word says that any one of these gifts are less important than any of the other gifts. We're told that God loves to give to His children what we ask for. When you ask for the Holy Spirit, He gives the Holy Spirit. He doesn't give a stone. It tells us that 
He gives exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. It tells us that God loves his church and wants the very best for his church. And there is no way that God would give us any gift that was somehow substandard in comparing that gift with any other gift. I believe that they all are of equal importance and of equal benefit in the church. But in their equality, there is diversity. And we need to remember that. The reason there is diversity is because they all have different kinds of function. And the, the Holy Spirit determines which of these gifts are going to be manifest by the Spirit in the church. Now, unfortunately, the church is in great disagreement over these gifts. And there are those who say that the gifts are not for today. And there are those who say that you must speak in tongues in order to be saved. So there's all kinds of error that is associated with these gifts of the Spirit. There are some who say if you speak in tongues, you're probably opening yourself up to demonic spirits. That really makes no sense at all. Because we're told in the Word of God that the Spirit comes into our lives dwells in us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he will not co-reside with demons. There's no question in my mind that any accusation of the spiritual gifts of God being sourced by the enemies of God is erroneous. But we also know that the Spirit can duplicate and counterfeit. But that doesn't exclude the fact that there is a reality. Whenever there is a counterfeit, there must be something that is real, that the counterfeit is made to imitate. So having been convinced of the fact that the Spirit has moved in our lives, dwells in us, and that he wants to give us good things, we embark on the study of his word based upon what his word says with regard to those gifts. And again, the place to go, as far as I know, is best to go, is the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is the history of the first few decades of the church's existence. And in the writing of Luke, in the book of Acts, we find several of these gifts that are mentioned here in operation. And we find that we can use the information that comes to us from the book of Acts to determine more clearly in our minds what is the purpose of this gift, and whether or not the Spirit is likely to use this gift in our present world situation. I believe, as I said earlier, that all of the gifts are available to the church, and they should be, you know, something that we are willing to at least allow the Spirit to manifest on our behalf in order to edify the body, not to puff up any one of us, not to make either any one of us more important than the others, but to edify the body as a whole, uh, to glorify Christ. That's the other major thing that we need to understand. If a gift, purportedly a gift, is being used in the church, it always must glorify Jesus. That was what Jesus had said about the Holy Spirit when he said, I will send you another comforter. He will speak of me. And that's important to understand. But here we go today in the study of this wonderful chapter. And as we continue in the study, uh, 
we'll continue through chapters 13 and 14, uh, seeing the emphasis that Paul is placing. And it is a corrective, remember, letter to the Corinthian church who was really experiencing, I believe, all of these gifts manifested in their church. Even though they were, in chapter 3, identified by Paul as a carnal church, even though there was sin in the church, even though there was all kinds of correction that needed to be made in the church of Corinthians, they were a spirit-filled church. And it tells us that, really, in chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul says that they were behind no one in terms of the spiritual gifts or spiritualities. So, verse 8, to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. Well, what does the word of wisdom do for us? What is its purpose? How do we recognize it? What does it mean? Well, if you remember, simply speaking, we obtain knowledge when we read facts, truths, and we apply that knowledge that we receive by utilizing the wisdom that God gives us to take that knowledge and apply it in a godly way that will glorify Him. In the Bible, there is reference to godly wisdom and there is reference to worldly wisdom and they are uniquely different, very far from one another. But this wisdom that is given by the Spirit of God, of course, would be a godly wisdom that would be utilized by the servant of God to take knowledge that he has learned and apply it in a given situation to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. So turn with me, if you would, to this first example of that in Acts chapter 23, and we'll be reading from verse 6. The book of Acts chapter 23, beginning with verse 6. Paul has been brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are the rulers, religious rulers of the day. They collectively are an organization that is consisting of men who are Pharisees and others who are of the Sadducee sect. And it's important to understand that they, all of them, were seated before the Apostle Paul as he gives testimony to why he is doing what he has been doing in Jerusalem. They've made accusations against Paul, and Paul is standing before them to defend himself. And he reminds them of the fact that he is himself a Pharisee. And so he knows the law, and he knows what God's Word says, because he's a student of the Word and they brought him before them to find some way to condemn him. But Paul, as he's standing before them, begins his defense in verse 6. It tells us, but when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Well, what he's doing here is taking some knowledge that he has and applying it with godly wisdom. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. The Pharisees believed in angels. The Sadducees did not. So they were mixed 
in terms of their theology. And Paul is now here taking advantage of that very, very important distinction between the Pharisees and Sadducees in order to defend himself, and he's doing it with great wisdom in his tact and his approach. He says in verse 7, And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. So Paul used wisdom to take the knowledge that he had about the situation that he was in, and he turned it from being something that was focused on him and instead became focused upon the distinct differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the division became so great that Paul was able to be removed from that situation altogether. Again, in verse 8 it says, For the Sadducees say that there's no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And then they arose there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So they're rubbing it in the nose of the Sadducees, if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And so that's how Paul escaped this particular confrontation. He was removed there by the Roman commander because he feared that Paul might be pulled up, pulled to pieces by them, basically. So he commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and delivered him back into the barracks. So Paul escaped a, a really serious confrontation with the, scribe, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that day because he used wisdom. And that wisdom was because God had provided it for him for the purpose of defending himself in that particular situation. It's a beautiful example of the Spirit of God manifesting himself through the gift of wisdom in the life of a believer. The very next thing he says in verse 8 of chapter 12, look at 1 Corinthians, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. Now I'd like you to take you still in the book of Acts to chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verse 4, of that particular verse of Scripture. Chapter 5 in the book of Acts, beginning with verse 4. Actually, I'm going to begin with verse 1 and end in verse 4. Here it is that Peter is sitting in a place of authority in the early days of the church's existence, in Jerusalem, most of the Jews who had turned to Christ were beginning to um, systematically sell their property and take the proceeds from the sale and basically let the church use it for distributing to the poor among them. And it was a very good welfare system for them while it lasted. It doesn't say that it was God's will for them to have done that, but they chose to do that, and it was a fairly effective ministry opportunity, at least for a while. In verse 1 of chapter 5, we see a couple that we've mentioned before who sold their property, and they bring the proceeds of the sale to Peter. It says in verse 1, A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, 
his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he's bringing this portion of what he had sold the property for and making it look as though he sold the property for that amount, but secretly keeping back a portion for himself. Well, verse 3, Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but you've lied to God. Here we have an example, I believe, of the effective use of the Spirit's gift of knowledge. Peter did not know that information on his own. It had to have been given to him by the Spirit of God, and Peter responds to this lie with a very, very severe punishment against Ananias and Sapphira. Well, we're not going to go into details about that, but take note of the fact again that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gave him this knowledge, a spiritually given gift of knowledge. Now next, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 9, it says, To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Now, obviously, when somebody is given the gift of healing, there's a certain amount of faith that goes along with that in terms of taking action when the gift is manifest. So we see in the book of Acts, hang on just a moment, and I'll take you there, uh, verse, chapter 14, the book of Acts, chapter 14, And we'll be looking at verses 8 and following. And this time again, Paul is traveling on his second missionary journey with uh, Cyrus. And they come to a city in Asia Minor known as Lystra. And it tells us in verse 8 of chapter 14 of the book of Acts, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. But this man heard Paul speaking. And Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Take note of the fact that here we have an example of faith and also of healing. The faith was in the individual who was listening to Paul. And apparently, the gift of faith was manifest through him, and Paul was able to observe that he had faith to be healed. Now, that also is what I would consider to be a word of knowledge that Paul was given to recognize that fact. So there's gifts being manifest here that are in place by the Spirit of God, and it's no coincidence that 
these things took place in this order. Paul looked upon him, he saw that the man had faith to be healed, and then he healed him. So there's the gift of knowledge, there's a gift of faith, and there's a gift of healing that are manifest in this short passage of Scripture that we just read. And the man was indeed healed. He stood up on his feet because he had faith to be healed. Also, we'll find that it's very much like that with regard to Peter's, Peter's ministry. And we'll go back to the beginning of the book of Acts, almost to the beginning. In fact, in, in chapter 3, um, beginning with verse 6, we'll read from verse 1 of chapter 3, actually, but the portion that I'm going to be focusing on is in verse 6. But here in Acts chapter 3, another lame man is healed. But notice the difference here. In verse 1 of chapter 3, it tells us, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and James, and John rather, about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his faith and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, and stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. So here we have another act of faith. This time, it's Peter's faith. He looked at that man, and he had faith that the man was to be healed. Now, I would assume at this point that Peter must have also received the word of knowledge that this man was to be lifted up as he was and as Peter instructed. And I believe that that was something that the Spirit revealed to Peter as a gift of knowledge, and then Peter acted on that gift of knowledge by faith, and then that gift of healing was manifest as a result of that. So these are the operational aspects of the working of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And... Peter and Paul and many others were used by the Lord extensively in that regard. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 5 again, but this time verse 12. Acts chapter 5 verse 12. Luke continues to talk about the great things that the, was were taking place in the church. And it says in verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least a shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. 
Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing back six sick people with them, and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So take note of the fact that we have many different healings that are taking place at the hand of the Apostle Peter. But not only by his hand, but simply by passing by his handkerchief, uh, they were being healed. Such miracles were taking place. It's all by the Spirit of God, as He chose. They all were healed because He manifest His gift to those who were there. And it is, as the writer of 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle, has said in chapter 12, gifts, plural, of healings, plural, were being manifest in the church. And many people were coming to the Lord as a result. Obviously, those gifts were intentionally given by the Spirit of God for the purpose of bringing everyone's attention to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, they were believers increasingly added to the Lord, verse 14 says, both men and women. So, these are the gifts so far that we've looked at, the gift of wisdom, uh, by the Spirit, the gift of knowledge by the same Spirit, the gift of faith by the same Spirit, the gift of healings by the same Spirit. And again, in verse 10, he says to another, the working of miracles. Now, we saw that also in the passage that we just read in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, or rather chapter 5 of the book of Acts, where many miracles were being done by the saints of God, the, the apostles. And it wasn't just the apostles, by the way, that these things were done. Stephen, who was a deacon, not an apostle, but just a faithful deacon in the church. And remember, as a deacon, he was appointed that task. Basically, his primary responsibility in the church was serving tables. But Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit and the knowledge and the faith of God, and he did many mighty miracles also, not only the apostles, but take note of the fact that it was others as well. Well, continuing on in our study in verse 10 of verse 12 of chapter 12 of the book of 1 Corinthians, again to another the working of miracles, as we just mentioned, to another prophecy. Well, prophecy was an important gift as well. In the book of Acts, it is shown in more than one place, and it's important for us to understand that prophecy is something that can be used by the Spirit of God to foretell some future event. That's certainly the case with the prophets of the Old Testament in many cases, they prophesied about events that were going to happen in the near and far future. And it's important for us to realize that God had filled those prophets, had come upon those prophets to proclaim the word of God so that the people would know that God was speaking to him, to the people, in the, in the days of those prophets. But here in the New Testament, prophets are basically forth-telling something that is important for the church to be aware of. Not exclusively, 
but it's still prophetic word. It's still word of knowledge that is given by the Spirit of God in the form of prophecy. And again, we can turn to the book of Acts to uh, see exactly what we mean by that. Chapter 11 Beginning with verse 27. The book of Acts. Acts 11, chapter 20, uh, 11, verse 27 says, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. And this they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now here we have a man who is one of the prophets who is from Jerusalem. He goes up to Antioch, which is where... Uh, the church has been sending out Paul and the other uh, followers with Paul to the various locations on their missionary journeys. But while they're there in Antioch, Paul and Silas and Barnabas and all of the others uh, were present when Agabus comes up from Jerusalem. And it says again in verse 28 that Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. Now, that did happen, so it came to pass. It was a foretelling of some future event that they needed to be aware of, and as they were made aware of it, they made preparation to help those who would be in need as a result of that famine. So this was a prophetic word that was given by the Spirit of God for the purpose of preparing the church, the people of God, for some event that was going to take place in the near future, and they needed to prepare for that. Great ministry of the Holy Spirit in using this wonderful gift of prophecy. Another time also, we find the same man, Agabus, in Acts 21. Turn there with me. Acts chapter 21. And we'll look at what is taking place in the life of the Apostle Paul near the end of his third missionary journey. In verse 10, it tells us, And we, Luke is writing, We stayed many days, and a certain prophet named Agabus, the same Agabus that came up from Jerusalem to uh, minister to the people in that previous reading that we just had, Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus again is prophesying of something that is going to take place, a warning for Paul. It is by the Spirit that he speaks this word. The Spirit of God gives as he chooses, severally as he chooses, that gift to those who present that gift by faith before the people of God. Prophecy. Today, 
there are very few, I believe, who could say that they have been used with a prophetic word. But I believe that there are some. And I don't want to cause anybody to think less of uh, the present situation by saying that prophecy does not happen. But I do submit to you that if it does happen, it would follow the same sort of pattern that is presented to us in the book of Acts. Some need, some event that must be certainly brought to their attention or our attention, some special situation that might be a troublesome situation for those who are going to be entering into it. Those are times when the Spirit of God may use a prophetic word to warn of some impending doom or some activity that needs to be done in the body of Christ for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to edify the body. Again, that's the purpose of the Spirit's moving among the church for the edification of the body and for the glorification of the Lord. So we have the workings of miracles and we have prophecies. And then we have this last one in verse 10, the discerning of spirits. It's not the last one, but it's the last one we're going to cover tonight. Discerning of spirits. That's important. And it is also found in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 16, we have a wonderful example of what I believe is to be an appropriate um, ministry of the Holy Spirit in this wonderful gift of discerning of spirits. We find Paul and Silas in their second missionary journey in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. And in verse 16, Luke tells us, Now it happened as we went to prayer, we again, Luke including himself, he's there, we went to prayer and a certain slave girl, possessed with the spirit of divination, met us, who brought her master much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Stop right there for a moment. Here's a girl. She's just a servant girl. She's following Paul and, and the others who are with him. And as they're walking down the street, she's making this proclamation, which is a truthful statement. She is saying, again, read it carefully in verse 17, these men are the servants of the Most High God. There's nothing wrong with that statement. It is truth. They proclaim to us the way of salvation. Absolutely right on. She's telling no lies. She's not deceiving. She's not doing anything at all in terms of telling any kind of mistruth. But yet Paul realizes there's something going on here. And that is where the discernment of spirits is a gift that comes to Paul at this particular moment in time. Again, she did this for many days, according to verse 18. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. He discerned that this spirit was not of God, even though it was telling truth about God and about the servants of God. The source was not godly. 
Paul recognized that by the gift of the Spirit in discerning of spirits. And so we have this as a wonderful example to make sure that we, if we're in a group of believers and some word comes, whether it's seemingly correct or not, it must be tested. The Apostle John tells us very, very clearly in 1 John, test the spirits to see if they are of God. So it cannot always be assumed, as I mentioned earlier, Satan does have his counterfeits. But if somebody that we do not know comes into our fellowship and begins to speak such words that sound like they are words of knowledge, a prophecy perhaps, or some other gift that's manifest in that individual, we need to make sure we test that spirit to see if it is of God. That is a gift that God gives to the church to make certain that we are not deceived. And it is a very, very important gift of the Holy Spirit. So all of these gifts that we've mentioned so far are very important gifts. They're very special gifts by the Spirit of God. And they are, I believe, still available to all believers today. The gift of wisdom. Certainly, we need God's wisdom when we apply the knowledge that we have in the reading of his word or any special knowledge that comes to us. Again, we want to make sure that we properly use the gifts. And we don't want anyone to begin to assume that he or she is a prophet or a prophetess. Because again, the Spirit of God doesn't give this gift or any of the gifts to just one individual. He gives it to severally anyone that he chooses. Each one of us is certainly eligible to be the recipient of any one of these gifts. And he might use you, he might use me, he might use any one of us in any one of those gifts. It just needs to be something that we would be open to. Are we prepared to allow the Spirit of God to move among us in a way that will bring glory to Christ? I hope we are. Are we wanting to hear what the Spirit of God is saying through these gifts to the church in this present hour? I would hope that we are. And that's something that I believe is very, very important for us to understand that He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. These gifts are for all who believe, according to Peter in Acts chapter 2. And if we accept that truth, then we should be willing to accept the reality of the Spirit's willingness to use these gifts in the church, the people of God. That's who the church are in this present day. So let us prayerfully consider, pray that perhaps the Lord would indeed be willing to move among us in such a powerful way as to manifest any one of these gifts as he chooses in the body. And let's see where God goes with that. But let's be careful to make sure that we apply the truth of God's word and test the spirits, making sure. Now, Again, I do not believe that God would ever allow any one of us to say anything that is outside of his perfect will for us and call it the gift of the Spirit of God if it is falsehood. He tells us that, remember, 
all the way back in an earlier verse, in verse 3 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Therefore I made known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. So we all know, each one of us, who are collectively the body of Christ here at Safe Harbor Church. And there's no question in my mind that God cannot use and would not use any one of us if we were willing to let him. And I don't have any reason to think that we would, by the Spirit of God, communicate to the church any falsehood or do anything in the church that would cause others to stumble. It's for the purpose of edification alone. And that's what the gifts are for, and that's what I believe they should be used for in the church in this present hour. So let us be mindful of that. We'll look at the last couple of gifts next time. And then we're going to be looking at uh, how these gifts do indeed edify the body, as we've been saying over and over again in this study and others. That's coming next time. As we move forward from this point, we'll be looking at the final two gifts, and there's a lot to be said about them the next time we meet. God bless. Grace and peace till then.